What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. Was the AFC and NFC Championship about who won or who lost? Plus, the reasons why Bill Belichick still hasn't been hired. And the expectations in Milwaukee as Doc Rivers takes over the Bucks. You're listening to episode 102 of Let Me Speak. Let's get things started. Give me that intro. Let me speak. Hello, hello, hello. Once again, we are back coming at you here on Tuesday, January 30th, 2024 for the 102nd episode of the Let Me Speak podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this show. And I want all of you who are watching us on YouTube to get a good look because, yes, I did cut off the giant fro. All the hair is gone. I did uh, go and get myself a haircut. It was just time. You know, when when you get into the shower and you start to see it get past your eyes and it goes towards your nose, that's when you know it's time to get it cut. And I tried out uh, a brand new barber. Uh, so shout out to uh, the Rosa Brothers here in uh, Swamp Scott, Massachusetts for uh, doing a tremendous job. You always get a little nervous when you uh, go to a new place for uh, for a haircut or do something new in general, you know, whether it be a dentist, doctor, whoever it is. Uh, shout out to them and shout out to uh, just all the, uh, while, while I'm just thinking of it, uh, because of course the rounds around here in Massachusetts is we have Newton teachers, uh, which is a very large district on strike right now. Um, I also have two sisters who are, working in the Swamp Scott Public Schools. So shout out to them because they deserve to get a lot of love, a lot of benefits. Um, so just swamp thinking of it, those who do the the standard jobs out there, whether it be teachers, you know, whoever cuts your hair or whatever, I want to give a, a shout out to them because I don't, I, I feel like they're the uh, the unsung heroes of the, uh, the uh, classic working economy out there. You know, we're just, we're just standard uh, sports media people. All we got to do is uh, talk for a living. Um, <laughs> that's just uh, how it is. And that's what's been uh, going on around here in the Swamp Scout area. In terms of the sports world, I think all eyes have shifted towards the NFL and championship weekend because the AFC and the NFC championship games never disappoint. And we now have Super Bowl 58 set to take place uh, two weeks from Sunday, this past Sunday. In Las Vegas, it will be a rematch of Super Bowl 54, the Kansas City Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs, and the San Francisco 49ers. And next week is when we'll do a really deep uh, Super Bowl preview onto that because my mind is still reeling from what I saw in the AFC and in the NFC Championship games. I want to start, obviously, with the AFC game because that was first up on the schedule and... It's it's hard to it's hard to form a conclusion about you know did the Chiefs win this game did the Ravens lose this game but ultimately I think it was the Ravens that really doomed them and before I get into the Ravens I want to get into the Chiefs because they have proved once again that you cannot bet against them they are the modern day football dynasty they are the Patriots of the 2000s and the 2010s 
They're the Niners and the Cowboys of the 90s, the the Steelers of the 70s, you know, whatever kind of football dynasty you want to come up with, this is what it is, Kansas City. And it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty at all for Kansas City, but they got it done. And you really got to credit the defense for how well they played, only allowing a high-powered running team like Baltimore to only 81 yards on the ground. They got three turnovers. They sacked Lamar Jackson four times. I mean, there was no doubt about it that this Chiefs team was led by their defense. Even with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, it was the defense that carried them for as far as they did. And this was kind of different, at least for me, in the from the Buffalo game when they needed all the points compared to um, this week. Um, I thought going into the to Sunday's game, that Baltimore was stronger defensively and they were a little bit more consistent on the offensive end. So this was really more of the defense wasn't as relied on in the Buffalo game as they were in this game. They absolutely needed it and they came through. Now it does, you know, having losing one of their pass rushers on Menahue, uh with that torn ACL, I think is going to hurt in the long run. But at least I saw no difference because um, it was in the third quarter and they needed a couple of fourth quarter stops, which they absolutely did. Um, so, obvi- but I mean, obviously, all attention turns to Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid, that trio and the dynasty they they were doing. Really, for Mahomes, he just had to be smart. And you were watching during the game that he wasn't taking these deep shots. He was just being smart and accurate, and that's really what he's been throughout this season is he's not worrying about the big numbers or the big plays. He's just going with all reliable. And that's what he's done. 30 of 39. Okay. It does scare me that he has to throw 39 compared to what the run game uh, was uh, going on with Kansas city. Obviously they only got, I think 89 yards. I want to say on the ground, but still they just told Patrick Mahomes just had to be smart. And that's what he did. 30 of 39, 241 yards, and he got a touchdown, all of that. But I think the big key has been Travis Kelsey's reemergence. He has come back to life. And I know this for a fact because he was my top pick in one of my fantasy football teams. And I saw throughout the year that this was not the same Travis Kelsey, not by a long shot. So first I say, why couldn't he do this during the regular season? I don't know. Probably would have helped a fantasy team not come in last place <laughs> for a fact. Um, but On Sunday, 11 catches, 116, and a touchdown. I mean, there's no doubt about it that he shows up when it matters the most. I mean, you look in the postseason uh, in these first couple of games, he's only missed four balls that's been thrown to him. He's had 27 targets. He's caught it 23 times. And he's got three touchdowns, over 260 yards uh, receiving. So there's no doubt about it. I don't know if he was, like, saving it in the regular season and getting to the postseason, but when they need him to make a big play, he's just one of those unguardable positions, no doubt about it. And the good thing for Mahomes was, I mean, the good thing was he wasn't force-feeding it. You know what I mean? Is he wasn't looking for Kelsey every single time. He was always going to have that first read, but he was able to get those couple of other reads, a couple of checkdowns to uh, Rashi Rice, to Pacheco, uh, now and again. But when the big play needed to happen, they went to Kelsey. And then, of course, the the ceiling one in, in that last drive went to MVS. But still, Kelsey is the guy 
that Mahomes goes to. And I think if you're San Francisco, you really have to come up with a game plan of how to shut him down for four quarters. Because he really, he burst on on uh, the field during <coughs> during that first half. Um, you saw him go on a bunch of third down plays, just sort of let Kelsey run and try to get open. Um, it was in the second half, he was a little bit shut down, but he was still making uh, some big plays. And obviously, I think that's where my sort of confidence level sort of stays in the middle. Because, I mean, when it comes to two weeks, I still don't believe that this offense has gotten better uh, from what we saw in the regular season. I mean, they had 17 in the first half, but they were shut out in the second half. And as I mentioned, they only had 89 yards on the ground, which means Pacheco couldn't get anything going against uh, the run defense that Baltimore was showing. And as uh, I just mentioned, Travis Kelsey wasn't as involved as he was in the first half. So it's those adjustments that really played a big factor. I mean, they only needed 17 points, but it's not going to be the same thing when they have to play uh, San Francisco. Now, in terms of the legacy question, I mean, yes, they are on the path of what the Patriots dynasty did. Mahomes and Brady are basically on the same parallels. I think Mahomes has like a two-game advantage right now. And all of the woulda, shoulda, couldas I'll talk about next week in terms of legacy. But I got everyone, I hear everyone saying, oh, I'm taking Patrick Mahomes over Tom Brady as the best. I'm taking the Chiefs dynasty over the Patriots dynasty as the best. Okay, let's chill out. This was a 20-year run that New England has gone on. Mahomes has only been the quarterback uh, for Kansas City since 2018. That's when he first became the starter. And they've only won three times. So Kelsey, Travis Kelsey does not have that many years left. Andy Reid probably doesn't have that many years left. The question is, Mahomes is going to have to do this with someone other than Kelsey and other than Reid as coach. So let's pump the brakes on Kansas City being, oh, this is so much better than what the Patriots have done. Let's chill out on that one. Let's chill out for just a second before we talk about who's going to have the greater dynasty and who's going to have the greater legacy, okay? So I do want to pivot, though, from Kansas City side on the field to Baltimore side on the field because I think more than so the Chiefs winning the game, this was about Baltimore losing the game. And I think the overall subject as to why Baltimore did not play well was that they clearly were not ready for the big stage. Clearly not at all. And I don't. I think defensively they had a great game. They got a couple of sacks of um, Mahomes. I thought they made some really good adjustments uh, in the second half of the game. I mean, they held the Chiefs scoreless in that second half. I mean, 17 is usually a good game for a defense. When you get to like 10 or less, that's elite, at least in my eyes. So defensively, they did great. It was offensively that... That's where my issues lie, because as I say, they weren't ready for the big stage and more so Lamar Jackson was not ready for the big stage. OK, this was a meh game right now. I said that he needs to win it with his arms and he didn't. I mean, some of the best plays were the impromptu plays, including the pass to himself. Um, I mean, the final numbers, I'm just looking right here. 20 of 37, 272 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And then he only got 54 rush yards on eight carries. It almost seemed like he was second-guessing himself even on these scrambles. He had no confidence really at all when it came uh, to these runs. I think that that was the that was the biggest issue was that he succumbed to the pressure. 
you know, literally and figuratively from the Kansas City defense. I mean, you look at everyone else. I mean, this was a running back by committee. You even had Gus Edwards having some great games, but he looked non-existent. You had Zay Flowers, who caught the big touchdown early on, but then had the key fumble uh, as he was diving for the goal line, which resulted in the in the touchback. So I ultimately see that this team was not ready. And even when you're seeing the frustration on the Baltimore sideline, I mean, you saw multiple times Lamar throw his helmet to the turf. He saw Zay Flowers actually injure his hand after that fumble. And then even on the field, you had multiple personal fouls. You had Zay Flowers with a taunting, multiple roughing the passers and uh, unnecessary roughness, you know, after the play, similar to that. You know, championship teams don't succumb to that kind of pressure. They don't. So I wanted to believe that the Ravens could overcome this and they could beat Kansas City. I was clearly wrong. They weren't ready, and I don't know if they're ever going to be ready for the big stage. You know, I thought this was the year that Lamar was finally going to get over the hump. All the past playoff failures or whatever or whatever, were behind him, but clearly they're not. They're clearly not ready, or at least Lamar is not ready for the big game. I mean, yes, this was the first conference championship game, but do we really think that he has a good chance to get back here, especially with Buffalo, who's clearly going to improve, with Cincinnati when Joe Burrow is healthy, when all these other AFC contenders are going to be emerging? I do not have any faith that Lamar Jackson will get the Ravens to a Super Bowl. I don't think himself, I don't think he will get to a Super Bowl and as long as he's the quarterback for whoever it is, they're not going to win the big game. You know, they can get to the AFC Championship again, but can you really trust him to win the big game when you need it? Honestly, no, because of his play style, okay? Even I said that he needed to win it with his arm. He made some throws, but they he relied on it too much. It was basically trying to prove all the doubters wrong of, I can throw to win a game. I don't need to run to win a, win a game. They didn't lean on what made them successful. They didn't. Because Lamar is one of the best scrambling quarterbacks in the entire world, maybe in the entire history of the NFL. And they didn't stick to it. He was too noncommittal on these scrambles. He had to rely on his arm, which I think was more so of a um it was it was more so of a, a thing for himself to say, I can make these throws rather than just relying on my legs. That's what I believe uh it came down to. So I think all that combined, Lamar Jackson's never gonna get to a Super Bowl. I don't think he's ever gonna have a ring on his resume resume because guys like this tend to slow down. They are not going to, Lamar's clearly not going to be as fast as he once was. He's not going to be as elusive as he once was. And I've come to the belief, you know, I, I truly believed that. And I, and I still believe it to the point that a quarterback with a Lamar Jackson type of play won't ever win the big one. And I still believe it to the day. I'm not going to say that if they won the AFC championship, they were going to win the Super Bowl. I didn't believe that at all. If it came down to either Ravens-Lions or Ravens-Niners, I would have taken 
the NFC representative, whoever that was. But it just shows that even in the conference championship style of things, they succumb to the pressure. So I don't think Lamar is ever getting himself to the big stage, and he's never going to win the big game, which is where I fully believe the Ravens went wrong. They went wrong uh, by putting all their eggs in his basket, and they better upgrade that receiving room because even Lamar Jackson needs help. Like, he needs help everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So I don't even know if Baltimore is going to get back to the conference title game. I I honestly fully believe they're not going to get back. They're never going to get to a Super Bowl, at least with Lamar's quarterback. But I'm starting to think that they're never going to get to a conference championship again. Not at all, because I don't think Lamar's had a better team than what Baltimore had. So Baltimore's on their way to Cancun. They're going to start making some uh, tea times, but... I don't think there would have been a worse collapse uh, for Baltimore than what the Lions did in the NFC Championship, which is where we go uh, talking about the NFC title game with the 49ers with a miraculous rally. I mean, I remember watching the game thinking that this was in the locks. It was 24-7, and, you know, I didn't say this, like, at halftime. You know, this was uh, when it was 24-10, I think, in the middle of the third quarter. And I was sitting there, and I thought, wow, the Lions are actually going to win this game. And I even tweeted out that it just feels like destiny that the Lions shake off the playoff demons and get themselves to a Super Bowl. San Francisco clearly had other plans as they rallied and uh, came away with the victory. I mean, look at that first half compared to the second half. This was two completely different teams. I mean, defensively, they were not good at all was San Francisco. They allowed 280 yards, uh, including a buck 48 on the ground, and they only the offense only gained 138 yards themselves. So then when you translate that over to the second half, the second half was a reminder to everyone in the league of how good that they are. Now, I was fully invested on the Niners. I picked them to win this game. I did not think that they would have to rally, though, to come back into this one. I mean, I just looked at all of the talent that San Francisco had, and I thought, there's no one that can beat this team. No one at all. I mean, you even got Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, making toe-tap catches with a, a scrambling Brock Purdy. So I was not, I mean, was I doubting them to win the game? Absolutely, when I was watching the game. I definitely thought that, you know, they were there were more doubts than not that they couldn't win this game. But here they are coming back. And winning this. And what was interesting to me was I was watching this weekend all the pregame shows, all the analysts. You know, there were more people doubting Brock Purdy than I thought. I mean, last week I did say, you know, I, I questioned if Purdy could do it again, if uh could turn things around. So I didn't really doubt it. I was just questioning and I was speculating. So that's to all you people who are going to come at me being like, you're one of the people who doubted Brock, Brock Purdy. No, I did not. No, I did not. I just speculated that he might not be able to turn things around. But clearly, uh, he was able to make the big throws. He was able to escape the pocket and run for the first down when he needed to. It was a great game uh, by San Francisco. But I do not want to overlook the boneheaded decisions that the Niners took advantage of by the Lions. And this is where I'm going to rail into Dan Campbell. I mean, I don't need to explain it. Everyone knows what happens. It was 24-10. 
fourth and two, an easy 45-yard field goal or something like that. Nope, let's go for it. Boom, turnover on downs, that leads to a touchdown. Let's go to 27-24 when the Niners take the lead. Same thing, fourth and two, makeable field goal. Nope, let's go for it. They turn it over on downs and the game gets away. I mean, what I said, this is what I said well before the playoffs even began, was about Dan Campbell. I mean, we already know that he goes for it on fourth down more than any team, more than anyone right now. I mean, he's making Brandon Staley look smart with some of these decisions. And I said well before the playoffs began that the easiest decisions are usually the right decisions. And I honestly believe that Dan Campbell goes for pride well more than points, okay? He looks at that fourth and two up 14 and says, let's actually bite a kneecap, let's stomp on their throats, and let's, in his words, kick their ass by putting the game away. Here's the problem, though. It's one thing to be egotistical and to have pride and to lean on pride, but I'm pretty sure you win the game by scoring more points than the other team. Let's just think about this in perspective. You kick that field goal when you're up 24-10, it's 27-10. to And yes, the Niners would have started exactly where they took over, but you still would give your defense some confidence after putting points on the board, okay? Let's go to the second time, 27-24 in the fourth quarter. You make that field goal, you tie the game, and you put, again, more pressure on the Niners, and you at least have the opportunity to go and win the game or at the very minimum force it to overtime where you can have faith in your offense to go score and win the game. So it's good to have faith in your players, but for goodness sake, this is... It's like reaching out your hand, like, throw me a freaking bone, for God's sake, okay? And you have everyone criticizing it, thinking about analytics or whatever. No, Dan Campbell doesn't make these decisions based on analytics. This is a hardo guy who gambles all the time because he trusts his players, and I trust my gut. Well, guess what? Your gut is wrong all of the time, or most of the time. This was a boneheaded decision by Dan Campbell. Two bonehead decisions. It's one thing to do it one time. Well, when you do it twice, what's the old expression? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And you have Dan Campbell in the post game saying, oh, I don't regret my decisions. You know, I went with my gut and my gut didn't work. No, I would be having regret because you just cost the Detroit Lions the Super Bowl. Something that Lions fans for almost half a century have never experienced before, and it was in your grasp, and you decide to get greedy and make a stupid decision by going for it on fourth down and costing your team, your city, and a fan base that has been starving for a championship a chance at the Super Bowl. So Dan Campbell has to live with himself, okay? And everyone's still going to come out and say, I love Dan Campbell and the kind of coaching style that he has the way he gets emotional with his players, okay? Let's learn to be smart with some of these decisions instead of going on emotions. Dan Campbell made the worst coaching decision in NFL history. I will come out and say it. And this goes with multiple decisions I can go with on Bill Belichick. I can go with Pete Carroll not running the ball in the Super Bowl, not giving it to Marshawn Lynch. This was the worst decision in NFL history by a head coach 
by far, by far, because Dan Campbell is so locked in his head and his emotions, he decides to not go with the easy decisions, which are usually 99% of the times the right decisions, but he instead tries to be smarter than everyone else, trying to show, oh, I'm not just a dumb jock out there. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm coaching. No, he decides to not play the easy game and decides to feed his own ego by going with this decision and costing the Lions a shot at the Super Bowl. That's the rant that I have with Dan Campbell because I fully expected and I wanted to. America wanted the Lions to go to the Super Bowl. And he decides to get in his own team's way by trying to be smarter than everyone else and instead of taking the easy points, which would have been a much easier game to manage, instead he goes for it on fourth down and it bites him. It absolutely but it bit him in the kneecap, as he says. It bit him in the kneecap. He got his own ass kicked, and it didn't matter if he had one ass cheek and three toes. The Niners still beat his ass. Man, Dan Campbell. It, I'm just I was such a fan of the Lions. I wanted them to go to the Super Bowl so bad. And I wanted them to win the Super Bowl so bad. But it's these decisions, you know, it would have been easier. It would have been easier on the heart. If he had just if it had just been a back and forth loss rather than with the game in their hands and they decide to blow it. But ultimately, we got a Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl, which we will preview next week. Uh, but coming up next, we gotta stay in the NFL and talk about a legend who apparently is still jobless and might be jobless for the foreseeable future. We'll talk about Bill Belichick up next. Well, we go from one head coach to another as we go from the boneheaded decisions of Dan Campbell to the coaching vacancy of Bill Belichick. Let's just let me just point something out for you. There is there were eight NFL head coaching openings to begin this offseason. And we are now down to two. That is Seattle and Washington. And you know who is still left without a job, who doesn't have a head coaching operation? Bill Belichick, a six-time Super Bowl champion, eight if you count the uh, assistant coaching gigs, which I honestly don't. And he does not have a job. He currently does not have a head coaching gig. Someone as widely respected, I would say, in the league as Bill Belichick still doesn't have a job. And honestly, I don't see him getting a job at least for 2024. I don't see him going to Seattle because Seattle just let go of a guy who's older than he is, and that's Pete Carroll. And Washington, I know they're probably going to strike out on Ben Johnson, but I don't see them going after Bill Belichick either. So I'm just, I'm kind of shocked. I'm really surprised to see the league that they see what everyone else who follows the Patriots see, and that is a guy with a substantial amount of power making some bad decisions in terms of the personnel department. Because what I truly think is that everyone, I mean, you ask all 32 teams, who do you want as a head coach? I'm pretty sure that all of them would pick 
some of their top options. You know, maybe among the top three, Bill Belichick would be in there for sure. As a coach, for sure. The problem is he's got the baggage of being a general manager. So ultimately, let's say I'm putting myself in the position as an owner of an NFL team. If you want to hire Bill Belichick, you basically have to take all his baggage with him for however many times because Belichick is not going to be coaching uh, for much longer. So if you're expecting like a 10-year sort of rebuild thing with him as your lead guy, no, you're not going to get it. You're probably going to get at most maybe a three- to four-year span uh, with Belichick. And not only do you take him as a coach, you're also taking him as a general manager. So whatever GM you had, you have to bring him into his office and say, look, we want to hire Bill Belichick as the head coach, but for that to happen, we need to get rid of you or at least change your position. You can't do that. Most teams aren't going to be doing that because I would say most teams are set up pretty good uh, right now. I would say about 80% of the league is satisfied with their coach general manager thing. I thought Dallas and Philadelphia uh, would have made sense as a coach. But as I said, the personnel power draws a line. Because, I mean, look at what Howie Roseman has done uh, for the Eagles, the way he set up that team to be contenders. They made the Super Bowl last year, some of the trades that they made. Like, he's done great. And I'm pretty sure Jerry Jones wouldn't want to concede any of her other power uh, for the Cowboys. He still wants his finger in everything. And then you obviously can't put him in a rebuilding franchise because um, unless he cares so deeply about getting the wins record, he wouldn't want to go to a team like the Panthers or the Giants or any other team that is most likely going to be in the cellar of the league uh, for quite a bit of time, okay? So ultimately, I can see why no one will want to hire Bill Belichick because he has this power. And my guess is that everyone thinks that he's out of touch because, I mean, you have to look at the way he's constructed things in years past from it from his time in the Patriots. I mean, let's go past 2020. The fact that in uh, 2022, he decides to uh, name a defensive guy and a special teams guy dueling offensive coordinators um, for guys that don't really have a ton of ex- ex- NFL experience uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, then let's go to uh, during that season as well. You have um, Mac Jones, who's coming off the ankle injury. I mean, you go to the Monday night game in Chicago. He's not digressing, you know, what the plan is at quarterback. Um, you know, I ultimately believe that decision should have been made where you either hold Mac out for um, that game or you play him the rest of the way. He decides three drives in. He's not good enough. Yank him for Bailey Zappi. Um, and he's still not talking about any coaching decision at all. Now let's go to this past offseason, leading into the 2023 campaign. Um, He makes some changes, but he willingly uh, brings in a guy in Bill O'Brien where it sounds like, you know, with reports coming out that he was sort of pressured into bringing this guy back. Um, And he wanted to, but he wanted to keep Patricia and Judge. He thought that this system of hiring the defensive guy and the special teams guy to be play callers um, was a good idea. And then uh, with some of the offseason moves that he made, he decides to get rid of Jacoby Myers, bring in Juju Smith-Schuster for longer. So you have your starting quarterback's favorite target. You don't bring him in. 
and you're sort of just money money withholding, I guess, is, is a good way to put it. And you bring in this guy, Smith-Schuster, who, uh, as of this moment, was uh, an overspend, no doubt about it. Um, you have a offensive lineman who clearly is not interested in playing, and you decide to give him more money. Um, and then you just go throughout the season. I can name a bunch of them. I could go on and on. Um, the bad management at quarterback, pulling a quarterback three times, but still giving him the start. Um, it just it goes on and on and on. And apparently the league uh, focused in on that. They saw that and they're not going to let it go. So they weren't captivated by the six Super Bowls, uh, the legendary records that he has. No, they were focused on what happened in 2023. And I sort of I applaud the league for for doing that because not many I, I would have thought that um, most most in the league would just bow at the feet of Bill Belichick and be like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, we'll take you on no matter what. But they're actually being smart and not going with their instincts. They see all the baggage that Belichick has, not just with the power, but with all the decisions he's made, the poor decisions, I might add. Um, and they're sticking with, and they're not, they're not buying into it. They're not buying into it. Now, in terms of what happens next, I'm really hoping that this is a reality check for Belichick because he obviously has his demands. Um, he has the luggage, as I mentioned, um, but ultimately he's not going to get a job until, unless he concedes a certain amount of power or if someone is stupid enough to give him the exact same role that he's had with new England. So maybe Belichick can sort of look in the mirror and be like, oh, maybe this is not what I've, expected i thought someone would bow at my feet <laughs> like he i i guarantee you he expected that he can just be himself he can be the same stickler or whatever and someone will come begging for him to have to uh be their coach but the thing is he also needs to be the general manager so um maybe he takes a step back and says you know what if i really do want to get the don shula wins record i need to give up some of my power which um, could turn things around. You know, maybe it's only a one-year off. Maybe it's a two-year off. Maybe maybe he never even coaches again. That could be a possibility if his ego is that big. He's not going to uh, give anything up uh, in terms of power. I would love to. We, we've heard reports that he could possibly go to the TV route and be an analyst. I would love that because no one is better at breaking down X's and O's about football than Bill Belichick. No doubt about that. I would watch him every week as an analyst. I don't care what network he was on. I would tune in and I would watch just him, just to listen to him analyze a game that the way he is. Because we've seen him in documentaries, in uh, specials like the NFL 100, or you know when we've seen him break down the uh, the Butler play that they practiced before the Seahawks Super Bowl. Um, I, I love listening to that and I love hearing, hearing that. So I absolutely would love it, but I ultimately do want to see him coach again, but I don't think he's going to, because this is not the way I, I really think this is, this is a bad way for him to go out. It's a bad way for him to go out where he's basically not wanted. I think he needs to go out on his own terms. So I want him to coach again, but he's going to have to concede a little bit in order to make that happen. So we're kind of just on a wait and see right now with Belichick. Could he get offered the commander's job? Could he interview there since uh, Ben Johnson wants to save with Detroit? We'll have to uh, wait and see for that one. But we've got so many more topics 
to hit on. And we're going to do that up next with our segment, Quick Hits. There is so much more news that we got to get to, so let's fire them off really quickly in our quick hit segment. We're going to stay in the NFL and talk about those coaching vacancies. We got three of them filled uh, in the past week. Of course, we mentioned uh, the Bill Belichick story because Raheem Morris was signed uh, to to be the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, which I honestly was surprised because Belichick looked locked into that role after getting uh two interviews he was flown on a private plane i definitely was uh surprised that they decided to go with guy uh raheem morris he does have some history uh with the franchise so it probably helped his case and i guarantee you that the falcons were probably turned off by belichick's demands power uh whatever that is you know it was arthur blank he was uh talked in by the ceo by the general manager they talked him out of it and blank decide to go against it. So Raheem Morris is going to be the guy in Atlanta. I mean, let's be honest. They need a quarterback before anything else. So unless they have a quarterback, then Raheem Morris is uh, going to succeed. So they better get that one pronto. Uh, The Panthers also uh, threw a curveball at everyone, decide to go with uh, Tampa's offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, as uh, their new head coach, which I like to hire. I think Carolina needs their offense fixed without a doubt. So it's good to get someone offensively based. Um, but ultimately, I just think it was the postseason run from uh, Tampa that got Canales the job. I thought, I think maybe the uh, 32 points against the Eagles and then uh, going back and forth with the Lions uh, a little bit there. I think that really built his case um, to get the job. So uh, Panthers, I, I think it's going to be a sneaky good hire. You know, I don't think it's going to get turned around in a hurry, but I don't think, you know, unless Tepper is even more of a stupid owner than we uh, think he is. Um, I think Canales will at least get uh, a season or two uh, with Carolina. But uh, I think the big one has to be, though, the Chargers getting Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. I think that is the best hire of the offseason because I think this is the closest team to a title when you compare it to all the other openings uh, in the NFL. And I think it's a perfect hire. You combine the offensive talent, and uh, you combine Justin Herbert and Jim Harbaugh, you put those two heads together, that elevates them. And I'm going to guarantee right here on January 30th, 2024, that the Chargers will be in the playoffs. They are going to be in the postseason next season, and you can take that one to the bank. That's how much I like this hire from L.A. So those are the uh, coaching vacancies, as I said in our previous. I mean, we got two more to go, and hopefully they'll be filled Uh, By the time we get to next week, that would be Seattle and Washington. But we are going to stay in the head coaching circuit and go to the NBA because I talked about it. It it had just broke about an hour uh, before we started recording. Uh, The Bucs were firing Adrian Griffin, and they've already made the move and have brought in Doc Rivers uh, to become their new head coach. Now, this, I do believe, is the best choice for Milwaukee uh, to have as head coach. But it's the mid-season, the fact that they go mid-season for their head coach, it rattles me. And I really don't see any significant changes happening, no matter who leads the Bucs. Because Giannis, Damian Lillard, etc., they don't play defense. And a guy like Doc Rivers, I don't really look at and say, oh, 
that's a guy that can turn around your defense without a doubt. He's a guy that can help you uh, in a championship run, you know, because I, I do believe, you know, some might be overrating him. Some might be underrating him. I think he's an all-time coach uh, for what he's done in Boston, uh, the running have with the Clippers and the running had with the Sixers. He at least got them into the playoffs. And, you know, I, I do believe he's a really good coach. Unlike some of my colleagues, <clears throat> Adam Jones, <clears throat> um, certified hater on that one. But <laughs> I think whoever is running things for Milwaukee, I don't see them. I, I just don't see, I don't see any chance for them because they made this change mid season. I, I don't see Milwaukee making uh, a deep run. So I don't think they can get themselves to the NBA championship. They can hope that Doc Rivers does that, but I don't see it happening because they decided to make this change mid season. Don't see it at all. Um, but speaking of Giannis and Dame Lillard, he is, they are one, two of the 10 starters that were announced for the NBA all-star game. It was announced last week. Again, they're going East West rather than the uh, standard draft. So in the Eastern conference, we got Giannis, Dame, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, and Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I probably wouldn't have picked Lillard to be a starter. I probably would have gone with Jalen Brunson uh, from the New York Knicks. I think he's having a, a better year, and I thought he should have been an all-star last year as well. Um, but he would have been my pick to be a starter. I'm okay with Lillard. You know, I, I don't have, you know, an argument in terms of uh, him being a starter. I think he's all-star caliber uh, for this season. You know, I probably just wouldn't have picked him as a starter uh, for me. Western Conference, uh, we got LeBron, Jokic, Durant, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Luka Doncic. Uh, first, let me just say I am incredibly happy to see SGA get the start. This is a guy who absolutely deserves it because I got a little nervous, you know. I get nervous with the fan vote, and the media, and the players. You know, they, they go on past history. I was nervous that they would have seen, you know, they would have gone with Steph Curry because <clears throat> I saw some of the voting updates. He was third behind Luca and Steph uh, and also Anthony Edwards, another guy who's deserving. But I'm glad that SGA gets the start for an OKC team that's at the top of the Western Conference. And I am just blown away the fact that LeBron has made 20 consecutive starts in the All-Star game. I mean, that's unreal. The dude's 39. He's probably going to keep starting uh, and keep getting those votes uh, as long as he continues to play at such a high level. You know, he might not have that many left, but this record is just going to keep going and going. It can get to 21, 22. Uh, it can, it will keep growing. It will keep growing. So all-star starters, I'm okay with them. I am okay with the 10 uh, that has been selected for the game uh, in Indiana in mid-February. Uh, but we go to the, from the NBA to the MLB um, last episode, was just before uh, they announced the newest members of the MLB Hall of Fame. And we found out that there are three selections to go along with Jim Leland. We got Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton, who uh, who were elected. Let me just say, love the choices. Love the choices. I'm still going on the record as saying Andrew Jones uh, should get in there. Uh, I'm still on that record. But, um, I mean, really the story with these three are, are quite interesting. I think Beltre... He was a late bloomer. I mean, I he really solidified his case uh, when he went to Texas and really had a great career there. Um, he had like a quick stint in Boston. He started with Seattle and then with L.A. Um, so he was kind of a late bloomer. And I, I, I very rarely see that because, I mean, he started in like 2004 and it took, you know, seven or eight years before he really got things going uh, with the Rangers. So um, 
the fact that he was a late bloomer and he got himself into the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's he's just lovable. He's he's a lovable, lovable player, a lovable guy. Um, for Joe Maurer, though, I mean, you could make the argument that he's been the best catcher in the uh, 21st century. You know, he's got an MVP on it. He's got some of the best uh, numbers in terms of catchers when it comes to war and total average. Um, I, I think that's a, I mean, no doubt about it. Maurer should have definitely got in there. Todd Helton was the one that, um, you know, eventually the votes came up and he finally got in there for the All-Star game. And like I said last week, Colorado doesn't make the World Series in 2007 without Todd Helton there at first base. And he's just a nice, serviceable first base. And as I said, if Scott Rowland got in last year, Todd Helton should get in. So I'm very happy with the selections that uh, the baseball writers uh, decide to make for the Hall of Fame. But Staying in the MLB to wrap it up, uh, we got a couple of moves uh, during the offseason as, again, the free agency in the offseason slowly moves along. You got to keep in mind, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting in about two weeks or so. So uh, get ready for that as we'll start spring training and uh, there might be some big names there without a job. Um, but big trade, Jorge Polanco, he's going from the Twins to Seattle. You had a uh, pitcher, Anthony Stefani. He was traded once again. He's going to the Twins. So really... He started in San Francisco, and he's going to be at least entering 2024 uh, in Minnesota. And I got to say, at least on Seattle's side of things, they are solid now in the infield. You got Ty France at first. Polanco is going to be at second. Uh, J.P. Crawford uh, is going to be there as well. I like the infield that uh, Seattle is setting up. I like it a lot. Uh, today, we got Justin Turner. He's off the market. He stays in the AL East, and he signs with uh, the Blue Jays. I really think that this is a Blue Jays team filled with talent, but they need someone to push them over the edge. And I think Justin Turner is the right guy to do that. I have worries if they're going to put him at second place, because obviously you can't put him at third because of Matt Chapman. You can't put him at first because of Vlad Jr. I mean, you can't really DH him either with the potential maybe of Brandon Belt. Um, but I like I like that signing by Toronto. I think he'll help him uh, tremendously in the locker room. Uh, but then the one move I want to make uh, mention as well, Reese Hoskins, uh, two years, $34 million with the Brewers. This is a nice, low-risk, high-reward signing for Milwaukee because he is coming off a torn ACL, and obviously the Phillies didn't need him because they already had Bryce Harper tagged at first base full-time, so they honestly didn't need him. Um, so you're hoping that he can replicate the numbers that he did from his time with the Phillies uh, that he will in Milwaukee. So it's a low risk, high reward. Hopefully it pays off for Milwaukee. I mean, it's a crappy division anyway. They can easily get themselves uh, atop that division. So maybe Hoskins is the guy who does it. So there you go. Those are the sub segments that uh, we had to squeeze in there. But of course we got to dedicate time for all the Boston sports out there. Cause there is a lot to talk about in the new England region. Let's get to our, let's get local segment up next. All right, for all you Boston fans out there who love your Patriots, Sox, season bees, it's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And I'm going to continue with the same practice of going negative to positive. I want to end on a high note. So let's start with the bad that's going on right now. And I, 
I guess you can't really call it bad as it's sort of indecisive right now with the Patriots as they still continue to fill out Jerron Mayo's coaching staff. Uh, we finally have a position, finally got someone hired, and that's Demarcus Covington. Now, it, it hasn't been announced. Um, it hasn't been formally announced that uh, Covington will be the D.C., but all signs are pointing to it. Uh, just waiting for the uh, breaking news sounder to go off and say, oh, Demarcus Covington will officially be Gerard Mayo's defensive coordinator. And I think that's that's a it's a good choice. You know, I, I did say that I want this next coaching staff to sort of be outside the circle of uh, Bill Belichick. And I, I think this this sort of qualifies because he just came on, I think, last year. Um, so I, I think it's a good hire. I do think it's a good hire. Um, and that ultimately means that Steve and Brian Belichick are not going to come back because they were offered positions, but they decide they're going to follow their dad uh, wherever they go. Uh, the big, the big question though, at least in the coaching side of things is the offensive coordinator because there've been 11 candidates who they are interview or they're going to be interviewing and they've struck out on a couple of them. I think Zach Robinson was maybe the big name that was, um, the outside Patriot circle that uh, everybody wanted, but he's, I think he's going to Atlanta to be the uh, offensive coordinator. Had a couple of other names. I know there's a 49ers coach in there. There's a Tampa coach in there. Um, there's a Bears offensive coordinator, I believe, Luke Getze over the weekend. Um, the big name that everyone that was circling is Nick Cayley because um, he was among uh, the coaching staff for the Patriots, but of course, if you remember, they decided to go with Patricia and Judge instead of Nick Cayley. So what does Cayley do? You're not going to select me. I'll just go somewhere else. And he's the tight ends coach of the Rams. And honestly, again, this is similar to at least me for Covington. This goes outside the circle. Um, I think Cayley fits it. And honestly, I would love to see Nick Cayley be the offensive coordinator. I wanted him to get that shot in 2022. Uh, when Josh McDaniels left, I definitely don't want Josh McDaniels. No, I do not. I do not. And I voiced that to uh, Ken Laird and Chris Curtis this Saturday on Ken and Curtis on EEI. Um, I would love to see Nick Cayley get the shot uh, here with New England. I think this is the job that he ultimately wanted. And I think the Crafts would be totally comfortable with having him uh, calling the plays, especially because he knows the Patriots system. Obviously, he was here for quite a bit of time before he went out to LA and before Belichick decided to make a stupid decision with going with Matt Patricia and Joe judge. So I think Kaylee is ultimately going to be the guy. He will be the guy. He probably, you know, it, it might not please a lot of people. Cause you know, I, I, for one, as I say, want to go outside the circle, but this qualifies as going outside the circle because this is not an immediate Bill Belichick guy that he's latched onto. You know, I think of Bill Belichick guys as, like a Joe Judge, a Patricia, Bill O'Brien, uh, McDaniels. I want to go outside that sort of inner circle of that. Um, but honestly, like, I think the big story that no one's really talking about is the report saying that uh, Mac Jones could remain a Patriot uh, in 2024. And I I'll just come out and say it like this. There, we have a term at WEI, we had a term called Mac Island. Um, it's people who were basically clinging to the support of Mac Jones. I believe it was, uh, Greg Hill, Chris Curtis, Christian Fourier. I think a couple of those guys were on the Island. It slowly got shorter and shorter. And then eventually it became an abandoned Island. I was new at EEI, but I clinged onto the Island. Um, when everyone, when anyone asked my opinion, um, but after this year, 
he's just I, I don't see any benefit to to keeping him around because I think he's broken to the point of no turning back as uh, me and Andy Hart have uh, talked about in the Fitzy and Hart program. I mean, you have these coaches that might be giving him a clean slate, but I think it's too late. It's just too late. I mean, when you're benched four different times and are just basically thrown out to the wolves um, and have been a part of all the controversy going on. I mean, I think like, I think he's a good quarterback, but it's just so mental with him. Now he's broken. He's seeing ghosts as Sam Darnold famously said, like it's to the point where I don't think you can fix him in new England. You can fix him other places, but you can't fix him here. You know, it's ultimately, if you're going to have maybe a competition with a quarterback you take in the draft, which it should be uh, either Drake May or Jane Daniels uh, that you select, I'm still going to harp on that, that they should be taking a quarterback with that third overall pick. But I, I just don't see it. I can't see Mac Jones having any future in New England. Now, we already know that his fifth year option is going to be declined, so this ultimately will be his last year in New England if um, they decide to keep him. But I don't want to keep him because there's no benefit to keeping him around. I mean, he's going outside this circle. I mean, maybe Gerard Mayo and the rest of the coaching staff accepts it. You know, maybe if Mayo and the staff was around when um, Mac was going like to Bill O'Brien in Alabama and that story, maybe that would have been allowed and he wouldn't have been quote unquote punished. For, for doing that, but just the way I saw 2023 unfold to see him, like, he had some good games, but ultimately, like, I, 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 I yearned for the fact that he needed more weapons, but even with, you know, some good weapons in New England, he's broken. He's just broken to the point where you can't bring him back. So I think I'm going to ride the train with Andy Hart. We're going to sound the horn, blow the whistle of saying you can't have Mac Jones back in Foxborough for 2024. I just, I don't see a benefit at all. I see a benefit with Bailey Zappi having him as a, as a capable backup, but ultimately you really expect uh, fans to be excited. If you're trotting number 10 in that Navy blue out on Gillette stadium, when the 2024 year begins, like that, there's no faith in that, especially when it's the most important offseason. As I've said week after week when we talk about Patriots, this is the most important offseason that this franchise has. And if one of those decisions is to keep Mac Jones in the quarterback room, I don't see it. I cannot see it working out at all. No doubt about it. You know what else I can't see working out? It's just the Red Sox in general as they continue to embarrass themselves over and over and over again. Last week, we talked about what happened at Winter Weekend. And as the days go on, it just gets worse and worse. I mean, we're hearing about Fenway Sports Group possibly buying into the PGA. Now they let Justin Turner walk. Keep in mind, Turner only got $13 million for a year. This would have made your fans happy. This is not a full throttle move. I mean, if you sign Jordan Montgomery, it's not a full throttle move. But my goodness, do something. Something for goodness sake. Bring Justin Turner back if you're not going to spend any money at all. I mean, what have they spent? Like $2 million? I mean, I shouldn't say that. I'm just exaggerating because they did sign Lucas Giolito. But for God's sake, one move in free agency isn't going to do it. Like, if you're going to shed payroll, do it. But I mean, come on. The fact that you let Justin Turner walk, 
you're not going to do anything. That's a clubhouse leader. That was without a doubt the clubhouse leader for the Red Sox. And someone tell me right now, is there anyone that comes off the top of your head that's going to step into that role and do it as effective as Justin Turner did? Nobody? Nobody off the top of my head, okay? I'm not expecting Rafi Devers to do that. I'm not expecting Brian Bayo to do that. The dude's a kid, okay? This is a terrible move. To I mean, we all expected Justin Turner to walk um, because, like, there was just no space for him when you consider um, third base, first base, DH. Like, that's fine. But if you're not replacing it with a veteran leader, like, I was fine if Chris Sale was going to be the leader. But guess what? You traded him away. Uh, I was fine, you know, letting Adam Duvall be the leader, even if he's only been for a year. Well, guess what? You're probably not going to sign him back either. So it's like, what are we doing here? What is the plan? If the plan is just to tank, you're doing a really good job at it, okay? It just is frustrating, the fact that a team as high profile as the Red Sox continue to go down this road, and I just don't get it. I don't get it because they are just trying. I don't know if they're setting themselves up to sell the team, but I would literally be, if, if I was so dedicated and I was like a creepy stalker or whatever, looking at the address of all this ownership, I would be standing out there with a sign, sell the team. Like I would be, you know what, you know what I think should happen? That very first game, opening day at Fenway Park, there should be a full capacity Fenway Park. And in unison, in the middle of the game, they should be chanting, sell the team, sell the team. And I hope ownership is in the box office, wherever it is, paying the apparently high-profile beers and tickets or whatever, charging all these fans to come here. I hope that happens. I hope that the fans, all in unison, chant, sell the team, while someone like, I don't know, uh, just randomly, like Jaron Duran or someone, like someone who you don't spend a ton of money on, like if he's up at plate, or you have someone on the mound like a Lucas Giolito who you decide to spend for and set and chance sell the team while Kennedy and or Werner and or Henry are at there. I guarantee you they're not going to be there at all because they're a bunch of cowards and they're a cowardly ownership group. <sighs> okay, so we got the negative out of there. Let's go to the positive, but I do have to splash in some negative there because it was not the cleanest week for the Boston Celtics. They're still atop the NBA, but these three games, and they have a four tonight after we record, but so far, two and one. Um, but it could have been one and two, uh, considering uh, New Orleans. But just going game by game, not scared of the Heat. They easily blew them out. I'm not scared of them anymore. I'm not afraid that they're going to upset them, but I'll, co of course, keep an eye on them because they can turn things around. Eric Spolster and that staff can turn things around in a hurry. The Clippers game, where they got absolutely blown out at home. That was a really bad offensive night. And the same thing with the Pelicans. It was a really bad first half. Luckily, they had fourth quarter, and they had Derek White. It was a fourth quarter machine, scoring 13 points and making big shots. And the team decided, hey, let's actually play in this fourth quarter. Let's actually play to win. And they decide to rally uh, and win the game. Um, what I really do want to focus in, though, on is Chris Porzingis because... I got to tell you, he scared me on Thursday night. He scared me the way he went down. He was kind of holding his leg up that it could have been like an Achilles or a knee. And I was uh, texting with Justin Turpin, uh, EEI Celtics writer, who we found on the show. And I was like, please don't tell me he just ended his season. And luckily, the replay showed that he sprained his ankle. He uh, missed the Clippers game. He missed the Pelicans game. 
I would bet money that he's probably going to miss the Pacers game tonight. Um, but I'll just say it like this. Um, on the court, he provides a lack of size on defense. That's why you had guys like Kawhi and Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram uh, just having their way. I mean, you even have Luke Cornett, who he has missed the past couple of games. But in terms of a backup, he doesn't have the physicality for a rim protector. Same thing with Kata. Um, Horford is sort of a small center, so I don't really trust him in that sort of thing. I think he's good with like a Giannis or an Embiid, maybe not a Zion, because I mean, everyone has a hard time guarding Zion or uh, Nikola Jokic, just to say. But in terms of the future, because just looking at this right now with the Celtics, they're sitting atop the East. They're sitting atop the NBA. I would love to have the number one seed without a doubt, because the way things are going, the number one seed, you'd be playing the Knicks or the Cavaliers. I think they can easily beat either of those two. The thing is, though, is he is so fragile, and he's had multiple injuries uh, throughout the year. I mean, he had like an arm thing, and now he has an ankle. Now he's got a, a hamstring sort of thing. You cannot play him significant minutes until you hit the postseason, okay? I don't care if you're 36 and 11. Yeah, you're four games up on Milwaukee, but... I think this team has enough depth where they can fill his void. And he is the most valuable of any Celtic. Look at the games that he has not played. This team has struggled both offensively and defensively. As I mentioned with the Clippers and the Pelicans, um, the the players that they had to guard, you know, Kawhi, Paul George, Harden, uh, Zion, uh, Ingram, McCollum. They would have been so much better if Porzingis was playing uh, in those games. But he is so fragile and so valuable that you cannot play him more than maybe 30 minutes a night. You need to conserve him because you need him in the postseason. That's when you can increase his minutes. And I have confidence that the lineup is deep enough to pick up his slack for the regular season. Because let's be honest, I don't, I don't want them to go undefeated at home. I don't want them to go record chasing. I just want them to lock up that number one seed and then start conserving your lineup. I mean, we we are seeing that, you know, Al Horford not playing on back-to-backs. Um, Drew Holiday's missed a couple games. Derek White's missed a couple games. Tatum Brown, so on and so on. But this lineup is deep enough that they can pick up his slack and win a couple of games. You got to keep in mind, the schedule for the rest of the year gets easier and easier. I think I saw somewhere um, at the start of January, they have the easiest schedule um, in the NBA. I mean. Yes, they have the Pacers tonight. That's going to be hard. But I'm just looking uh, in the at the future schedule of what they have. I mean, they're playing the Grizzlies again. They're playing the Wizards. Uh, they're playing the Nets twice. Um, let's see what else we got here. We got the Portland. They got Utah. Um, they got Detroit two more times. They got Charlotte uh, a couple of more times. Like, this is a lineup where I'm okay with sitting uh, Porzingis and not giving him any giant minutes uh, until uh, we get to the postseason. So that's what I think Joe Mazzula and the staff needs to get into, is worrying about the postseason, get this team as healthy as possible. That's what I'm expecting for the Celtics. It's probably not, because they're probably going to need Porzingis to win a couple of games, but that's the strategy I would be going with um, if I were managing that Celtics team. Um, but they have their all-star break. They got a couple more games before they have their all-star break. Who does have their all-star break is the Bruins. And for the second straight season, they are once again atop the NHL. 31-9-9. Nine, nine. My goodness, 71 points. 
best in the East. They've got as many points as Vancouver. They're tied for best in the league. I mean, no doubt about this. I would. I am surprised that this lineup for losing Bergeron, Krejci, um, Orlov, um, so many Hathaway, uh, Taylor Hall. They've lost so much, but they still stay atop the NHL. I mean, I think first and foremost, you got to look at the goaltending. I mean, this is the best one-two duo of goaltenders in the NHL. And I still believe that Jeremy Swayman is going to be that number one guy when it gets to postseason. But I mean, having a fallback of Linus Allmark to go to alternate starts between those two. I mean, talk about having insurance without a doubt for Jim Montgomery. Um, it, it's been incredible. Um, the scoring has, I mean, the defense has taken dip, no doubt about it. And they are bailed out by these two guys, but to see the scoring still the way they are with Pasternak leading the way, Marshawn as the new captain, Coyle, uh, just to name a few. I mean, speaking of Pasternak, I do want to say that he's got 72 points right now, which is top three in the league. This needs to carry over, though, in the playoffs. He always disappears in the postseason. So he's got 61 goals, 113 points a year ago. But in the first round where they got eliminated in those seven games, he only had five points and five goals. So... That's got to carry over in the postseason. So similar to the Celtics, the questions will start when we get to the postseason. And I really hope that they can at least get past the first round. Um, I'm sure we'll have a couple more experts to talk about the Bruins when we get deep into their break. But for right now, I'm very impressed to see what the Bruins have done as they go into the All-Star break once again atop the NHL. So there you have it with your Boston Roundup. There's a lot going on in the city, and hopefully it turns all positive. But we do end on a positive note, speaking of, to do uh, to end our show, as we always do. We get ourselves a good laugh by looking at our LOL moment of the week, which is coming up next. And now to wrap up the show, as we always do, we're going to look at our LOL moment of the week. And we're going to go back to the NFL for this one and go to Conference Championship Sunday. Uh, there's a lot that we could pick out of. It could be all the Taylor Swift stuff. Um, but we are actually going to go to the NFC side of things. And the moment's actually not going to a specific athlete. We're going to go to a famous rapper, Detroit's own Eminem. Uh, makes the moment. Um, I will not show the photo for all of you, though, on YouTube because we are a family-friendly program. Uh, shout out to all the youngins out there. <laughs> um, but Eminem had uh, quite a quite a ride in this uh, Lions postseason. Uh, he did the opening for NBC. He was in the press box every game. Uh, he did make the journey out to San Francisco, and there's a viral photo. I'm sure you can find it on X or wherever where Eminem is just standing there and giving the double bird to the Niners fans. Um, he's totally serious about the moment. And it's it's kind of funny when you um, listen to the video, you can sort of hear the fans cheering along, just like, yes, that's Eminem. That's what we want him to do. Because let's face it, all rappers are, the, are uh, historically known for like breaking the rules, going against society, anything like that. So it's kind of everyone being like, oh, he's just doing his rapper thing. But Eminem is that tied to Detroit uh, and was tied so much to the Lions. Um, I definitely did not want to be in his recording studio 
or uh, anything like that when the Lions lost because he, I think he's as diehard as diehard gets in terms of Detroit. He, but it was just funny. He was there in full gear. He was just standing there, just showing the arms, and he wasn't make. He wasn't uh, swaying away from his eye contact. He was just shooting daggers and shirt, shooting middle fingers out there to all the uh, Niners fans. Uh, it's not. It's not really a, a bad rivalry, you know. It's not like Packers Bears or uh, Chiefs Bills, anything like that. Any kind of hostility. It, it was kind of like a fun sort of thing because I think America was rooting for, as I said, America was rooting for the Lions. Um, and I bet you, you know, all the memes were starting of Eminem, you know, giving those fingers to Dan Campbell and all his decision makings. Because <laughs> um, I know that's definitely, you know, that's just like me when I'm driving, you know, whatever, just a blank stare, throwing up the finger and letting whoever it is eat it, you know, not even, you know, saying a word, just showing the finger <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So the the double number one salute from Eminem has landed uh, into this week's LOL moment of the week. For showing the fans of San Francisco some love as a proud Detroit Lions fan. And with that, we are done with episode 102 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us wherever you get your podcast, make sure you follow myself on uh, Twitter or X uh, at Joe Braverman PVP. You can search my name also on Instagram and Facebook, which speaking of, you can follow the podcast on those same platforms. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. Thank everyone once again for tuning in and we will see you next time for number 103 of Let Me Speak. Later! Later!